how did the modern tournament go this weekend? I thought it was fun, but I suffered because I should have. I would have had more fun playing like a real deck with a plan. <laughs> yes, instead a, of like your a singleton deck. spell slash artifact deck. But it was not it. Yeah. It, well, I mean, not to brag, but I got top ten. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's always what you're going for yeah yeah and it was really funny i really enjoyed whenever i would like have an answer to something like one time i furied someone one time i just counterspelled a spell and they go oh, really you had it and i'm like yeah it's, it's, it's... <laughs> i mean <laughs> they're all one sometimes i'll have something i'm gonna have something like, yeah there's a lot of overlap it's not like i only have one way to kill creatures and it is the one of fury like yeah like fury let me kill two things instead of me having like an unholy heat or whatever but i mean killing your one one was just gravy anyway i killed someone with lutri that's good lutri isn't really it i would imagine they they blood moon dust and i can cast lutri off blood moon and i had shadow spear in play so i just suited my otter up <laughs> went to town the classic fury shadow spear deck god i wish i would have been able to attack with fury it would have felt mm -hmm. like i was doing something powerful at one point i think after round four i was like tameshi and x and that i only won games when i had tameshi in play but it won me every game <laughs> at least that inspires some tameshi based deck building then i assume yeah that, that card was really impressive honestly i think it's like at the power level you just need to like find the place for it there is that lotus bloom deck but i don't know if that's quite it that's cute i don't think mm -hmm. it's powerful enough like yeah. it's it's too all in you know like you need right. three or four different cards working perfectly in tandem and it requires you to bounce all your lands <laughs> right right so that's a little too much for me honestly just getting an urza saga back into play like the turn i sure. picked up iganjo and put mm -hmm. an Urza Saga in play and replayed a different land. Yeah, love that. It was just, oh god, I'm not losing this one. That's that's pretty hype. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 236 of the MTG Grindcast, the lava spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. What's uh, what's that all about, Lee? So, funny story. I was mm -hmm. going over the show notes and adding my own notes, and some spirit possessed me and caused me to type the word lava next to spikiest. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And I just left it there after that. This wasn't. You know, this wasn't a particularly burn-heavy weekend or anything like that. Nope. That didn't come out to play, given the lack of Luris lifelink this weekend, I guess, would be the explanation if that did happen. I don't know. I was just feeling lava spikes. Okay. A card that you have ever registered in a Magic tournament? Uh, I certainly haven't registered it and constructed, but I have mm -hmm. cast it limited. Well, sometimes you need to displace onto something. Exactly. Our king spells are good. Yep. Today we're going to mostly talk about modern because we didn't really get a chance to talk about it post Loris ban. And now we have the chance to actually look at some results post Loris ban. None of which are particularly here is the metagame. This is what has happened now. We're in an adjustment period. We'll start off, though, by taking a little while to talk about the set championship that happened this weekend. 
uh, probably not going to go too deep into the nuances of the formats and what we expect from the going forward because it's alchemy and historic but yeah. there, there's the, a few things worth talking about at least the best part about this tournament is that it immediately invalidates itself mid-broadcast as they start previewing cards for the next expansion. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of which seem really good. And, and they will, come out like, like in two days, right? Like yeah. this is coming out this week or something yeah. like that. And like how how could I get excited to play the Orzhov Venture deck when it's like there's like multiple new weird artifact combo cards to play? It's just... I, what? But also, you can't really play these formats, particularly not Alchemy, because... It just has twice the number of sets as other formats, and it costs infinite wild cards, and all the interesting cards from the alchemy set are rares and mythics, and then they also just nerf your cards and don't give you wild cards. But you just, it's just like not financially feasible to play alchemy. This is my favorite part about alchemy spoiler season, mm -hmm. is that in addition to the cards looking honestly kind of cool, I like the ones they released. There's no yeah. grizzle hunt masters this time, but on a in addition to all these like neat cards they're spoiling you get everyone going like huh you know i'm being reminded that the economy is just flat garbage there's not right. a single common card in any of these sets they're all yep. rares or mythics the only real way to get them is just to craft them as wild cards you can't like, draft them yeah you can't draft them they just don't happen unless you craft them it just feels like this weird like inaccessible like sister game to magic the gathering that Cost just kind of for some reason not play that costs a lot more yeah which is kind of a shame because the formats looked good this weekend right. they looked fun and the cards look fun like i would want to if i was an already you know permanently out of arena yeah. i would want to mess around with some of the preview cards i've seen mostly city because, stalker like, connoisseur was dope like that was a great is cool, it the four drops the, yeah rats? just like yeah. a big hill giant ravenous rats with a bunch of weird upsides and it was one of the best cards in the tournament that's cool yes and the uh, a lot of the kamigawa ones are giving mm -hmm. me strong these are from kamigawa vibes which is great because you know that's mm -hmm. that's incredible it's one yeah. of the best sets we've had in years yeah like i didn't even make plans to talk about those cards like i guess we could but i didn't set yeah, we'll any aside to yeah we'll, we'll we'll go through them at some point but they don't feel real or they just don't feel like because I just don't want to spend the money that it takes to get really into alchemy. <laughs> when cards, when a new set comes out, I want to experiment with all the new cards. When an alchemy set comes out, though, I can't justify spending 20 plus rare wild cards trying the neat things that I want to try and they might not work because that's just a lot of wild cards. And you're not you can't subsidize them with draft the way you could the normal set. Yeah. Which is, I like, still bad with a normal set, don't get me wrong. But this is somehow even worse. As for the formats themselves, like, they did look fun, which is kind of the, the shame of it. The alchemy format, it was cool. Like, black-white mid-range decks were the best things in the format, which we never get to do. And they just lined up really well. Runes, the deck that everybody was thinking about, got absolutely bodied through the course of this tournament yeah, somewhere between like areas <laughs> yes lots of archon of amirias lots of skyclave apparitions just everybody was super ready for it triumphant adventurer given that extra power which makes a huge difference because you have to triple block it to even threaten to kill it in combat and then if there's an instant speed removal spell you're getting the most blown out that anybody ever has in combat i have to eat a little bit of crow 
on my making fun of the venture buffs because that was the best deck in the tournament. I mean, in your defense, uh, we weren't really calling attention to Triumphant Adventure as much as we were to, you know, right the gift of paradise getting buffed or whatever. Yes, that was the one that, that really, really got me going. Triumphant Adventure was honestly like a borderline playable card anyways, giving it an extra power. It, it was the premier two-mana threat in this tournament and in this format. Mm-hmm. It looked good. Yeah, it did look really good. I want to point out Shoda's deck, which when it popped up on stream, I just was so delighted to watch it. And then I was the least surprised I've ever been when I saw that he had 7-0'd with it and top 16 of the tournament. So here's a funny story about Shoda's deck. I watched all of the games on Friday. And then on Saturday, I was playing a modern tournament. But you texted me and you're like, wow, did, what do you think? Shoda's deck is so cool or something to that effect. And I said, oh, I'm busy. I'm not watching the stream. Like, what is it? And you said something like, I'm not going to spoil it for you. So I had to do the whole day just not knowing what Shoda's deck was. Uh, yeah. It, so for... I will spoil it for anybody who's listening because that's what we do here. But this is an is it control deck that is completely creatureless in the main deck, which is like that's the smart choice. Like that's the that's the genius choice because this format was fully dominated by board controly mid-rangey decks that had like eight plus removal spells. So just don't put Goldspan Dragon or whatever in your control deck and you're a lot safer. Uh, so that was, you know, the thing that I think triggered this type of deck. But then the execution of it was also pretty brilliant, which is that this is a four invoke calamity deck. And since you don't have any creatures, you need a win condition. And that win condition is a couple of copies of Tasha's hideous laughter. And you can galvanic iteration those to create a kind of similar effect to All Runs Epiphany in that the game is just over when you do that. Yeah, and you can also like piecemeal it a little bit. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to always combo Tasha's and Gavang Iteration. You can also like cast Tasha's, then later down the line cast Invoke Calamity mm-hmm. and get it back from your graveyard and do other stuff. It's it's pretty silly. Yeah, and then he was able to board in matchups where you know you didn't really want to be drawing Tasha's hideous laughters. He was able to like board that out and just bring in eggs and be a more normal just spells deck and. That gives access to the play of Invoke Calamity to put five counters onto my Smoldering Egg and flip it, and then get two triggers off of the two spells that Invoke Calamity casts, which was a blowout the couple of times that I saw. It was just, like, that's such a gnarly interaction. So, no surprise that showed a 7 0 with this deck. It was perfect for this tournament. It's also a deck that you could show me and be like, Guess who played this? <laughs> Only Shota could do it. <laughs> Shota would be near the top of the list, yeah, for sure. And then True to Form saw multiple tweets or, or multiple like discussions and discords and stuff about people talking about playing the deck in Alchemy and being like, I just can't find a way to win with this deck. I have no idea how to do it, which is just how it works with Shota decks. Yeah, that's the, that's the Shota experience. Historic was kind of static. All of the decks that were heavily played and did well are decks that we know and know are good. Phoenix, Food, just various Teferi Hero Dominaria builds, Dreadhorde Arcanist decks. 
nothing particularly new. Uh, I think the most exciting thing was probably the Channel Fireball Phoenix deck splashing for quad. Hititsugu consumes all in the sideboard because that kind of smashes the food matchup, which is a little bit difficult otherwise. Yeah, gets rid of all the tokens is a huge deal. <laughs> yes, yeah. They can't store any food tokens to bring back their cat or anything. There's a decent chance that this puts their cat and their oven in their graveyard and then exiles it the next turn because they might not have been able to find a way to bring it back. So really gross against them. Yeah, so nothing super distinguished itself in Historic. There was a lot of work done in Alchemy. It really did feel like a a new like a PT format, like one that hadn't been explored and was being accessed for the first time. And some of these decks were 60 plus percent decks and some of these decks were 30 something percent decks. And that was exciting and felt really cool to watch and and i think that was a huge upside of the like nobody really plays alchemy until this this pt i I was surprised how like watchable alchemy was Mm -hmm. uh because i had kind of expected to just be along for the ride for historic Mm -hmm. and alchemy i was just gonna suffer through basically yeah but to my surprise the other way around Mm -hmm. like i just suffered through historic and alchemy was pretty interesting mostly because no one ever played it so you get people actually playing the format right and i don't know if it'll be as interesting you know in the next set championship with new alchemy cards probably not the new capenna ones but uh, like (laughs) do we know the formats for the next set championship is it the same thing again not to my knowledge okay which is weird you'd think that'd be announced by now but no don't know it but i'm assuming it's going to be alchemy because yeah. you know gotta sell alchemy packs right which this tournament did a terrible job of doing because they didn't allow the players to play with the alchemy cards i heard i don't know if it's compelling or not but an argument that the tournament is so late in the set's lifespan so that they can get bugs out of the way first which i can kind of buy but didn't seem true for this tournament yeah it suffers from the fact that shatter skull smashing and magma opus were bugged cards that have been in standard for you know a year plus i wish they would just do the set championships after the alchemy format or the alchemy set for this set came out mm-hmm. which is about a month after it happens on arena mm-hmm. like this is this alchemy set is coming a month after neon dynasty came out this mm-hmm. kamigawa one so i'm hoping Please let the Capenna one be a month, like uh, just a month after the the Capenna Alchemy format. And then you can preview cards, I guess, for the new set if you really want to. But, you know, I I want the real Alchemy cards and and Alchemy experience to have the tournament be like more exciting because this one was really fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it does delay the tournament like a reasonable amount because they need to give people time to test with the new alchemy cards you say that but then they make changes historic like a week before the tournament so do they care yeah but i mean it's not as extreme as adding you know 20 plus cards to the format yeah yeah i get what you're saying uh there was a little bit of ladder reward related drama after the tournament we don't need to get like super into it but you know there was uh suggestion that you know arena qualified players performed pretty badly at this tournament compared to players who qualified via other methods and there was a suggestion that 
maybe ladder needs like better rewards or something to increase the level of competition on arena i do not think that is the answer i think the fact that ladder is such a major part of qualifying through arena and since ladder doesn't actually reward the same things as tournament play it's just like naturally going to select differently and if you want better tournament competition you need to de-emphasize ladder in your qualification structure for arena so i feel very strongly about this <laughs> i don't i don't know how i'm proceeding with the sentence as i say it but this the whole hoagland and stratsky thing was really just them racing to say the stupidest thing possible in response to each other <laughs> over and over and over again it was the most garbage takes over and over and over again so i have no idea what hoagland says because i apparently am one of the many blocked, oh, by you're one of the blocked people yeah. okay i'm not but i have a muted so I can still read what he says. I just have to work a little bit. You have more. to choose to. Right. The idea that ladder is comparable and like a good avenue players should be pursuing to be competitive is just never true. Yeah. Even on games that have competitive circuits and are based highly in ladder. Right. Like Hearthstone and uh Hearthstone's the biggest one, right? Mm-hmm. Ladder play is always considered different from tournament play. It's completely different because you're playing... So Magic the Gathering is a, a pretty simple... Uh, sh- there's not a lot of change between ladder and tournament. Like you, you can just play a deck on ladder and you can play a deck in a tournament. That's mm-hmm. not a huge change. The problem is the experience is completely different mm-hmm. and the ladder isn't remotely comparable to tournament play not to say the least that you can just be number one mythic playing only best of one mm-hmm. which you cannot do in a tournament you can't win the tournament by only winning game ones you know of course of course and and you also you know ladder just simply incentivizes a different set of things you like you want to get in more games your win percentage doesn't need you know to top eight a tournament your win percentage has in that tournament has to be around 90 percent obviously that is like a sample size thing and whatever but you know ladder rewards just playing a ton more than anything else it's way more time investment than anything else Mm -hmm. not to say the skill isn't no of of course of course not it but but ultimately like it just rewards a different set of skills and a different set of commitments than tournament play and this doesn't always translate over into tournament play and i think that's why the arena qualified players who probably play a lot of ladder as their primary way of both competing and preparing i think that's why they their win percentage was so much lower than players who qualified in different ways i'm not gonna speak to that because honestly, I didn't see any data that suggested that like none of it was ever linked. So as mm-hmm. far as I can tell, it's just like you're see. Uh, no, it was they they put up a slide of the day two conversion rates. Did and they? Okay. The the arena qualified players were around thirty three percent, and uh, all the other methods were like above fifty. Okay, so th- there's something there at least data wise. I don't know how to like. I don't either. Yeah, rationalize that or anything like. I don't, and I don't... there's sample size stuff too, and right. whatever. So, but also, the thing we haven't talked about yet, which I think is the most important thing, is that emphasizing a ladder it's or being at the top players. of it, it's horrendous. Do you remember the Mythic Invitational? I think it was. Maybe it was the first Mythic Championship that you could qualify for Arena. Yeah, but it was like the top 
X players on the ladder would qualify. Right. I remember Evan watching Evan like fighting for those top slots and just like the taxing experience that it was. It was horrible. And not only are you like always online, always playing when you're not, you feel like you're just wasting time or yeah. losing your 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 equity, your opportunity. And then there's all this nonsense about like queuing into the person who's ranked 16th or something if you need to be top 15 and just like coercing them to concede if you're mm -hmm. like part of the same community. And mm -hmm. it's like just all bad habits all the way down. Yeah, it's it's really atrocious. And I would love if we could switch to almost anything else, but in particular, a tournament based model for qualifying that is more similar to what we were used to. I think ladder is necessary for these type of online games where you just mm -hmm. need a place to play a pickup game. I think. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think it's fine for that. La ladder is really good at just providing a place to play a game. All, all the numbers associated with it, like ranking up and stuff to get you to play over and over again, it's kind of nonsense in different ways. And I really, really wish they would de-emphasize like being in the top X mythic to qualify. Mm -hmm. I think that's not healthy yeah, or ideal. I am acknowledging that like the task of being in top 1200 mythic is very different from a task of like being in top 10 mythic to qualify for this thing automatically or whatever like like it's less bad but certainly the idea that ladder play would be improved if we added a bunch of prizes for being in the top few is just false i think that's so horrendous it just creates a terrible experience for players and if anything it also encourages people who do not care about competitive play but do care about having cards on arena without paying more money to just spend a bunch more time playing it mm-hmm so then you're like getting people to to do something they don't want to do right and uh, more people who just don't care about competitive all just are pushing out competitive players based on the time they spend to get the better rewards mm -hmm. who have no intention of actually playing in the tournaments there's also the fact that like the vast majority of my time spent playing ladder is in like silver gold platinum because I often take a month or two off of, of playing ladder and just I do other stuff and then I come back and then I just have to spend all this time playing this nonsense part of the ladder and it's a very frustrating experience that I don't want to add any more incentives to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ladder is bad. This is apparently news to some people it's tweeting about it on Sunday, but very it's not... weird to me that... I'm glad we got another round of people sharing the Richard Garfield article ladder. It's a very good article. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of people haven't engaged critically in certain topics and then are maybe surprised by when people who have done the analysis come in and are like, look, this is not. You need to think about this a little more. You need to engage a little bit critically in this idea before talking about it. I think, I think it's it. also just super unfair to have players grind all the time and we probably can just get off this topic but <laughs> just have them grind all the time and then go to a tournament where the format is just different it's yeah just that's not a reward no no it really isn't if you're gonna em emphasize ladder play and then the prize is after you've done all this you get to go to this tournament where you play against people who a lot of them have spent 20 years playing tournament play and learning how to prep for this sort of thing that your competitive experience is almost unrelated to that's not a great reward for 
for being good at ladder play. It's it's like you 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 won the Street Fighter tournament, like you qualified for this Marvel versus Capcom tournament. That's not that's not great. Why why would I want that? And I do feel similarly for like we had Justin on last week who qualified through Vintage, and that's also super bizarre and probably shouldn't happen. Yeah. But at the same time, that's more of a business thing where they want people who are playing Magic Online to be interested. Like they, they know people pay tournament entry to mm-hmm. and the only thing they can offer is arena tournaments. That's just right. the only thing they've got. So they do it. But that's also super weird. Yeah. At least that is people playing best of three Magic the Gathering in a tournament structure. But yes, a completely different format and piece of software is definitely a gap as well. <sighs> anyway, though, we, that's that's enough for ladder for this week. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, think, I think everybody wants to uh, have us turn to the modern topic because we haven't engaged in that in a little bit. And not since the Luris band. Man, we are so smart. We really... You know, with the Dom episode, we all just knew it was going to happen. It, yeah, we're so brave calling a Luris fan. Honestly, like, it who did happen thought? a lot sooner than I expected it to happen. I really thought they were going to like force us to build decks around Luris for another year or so before before getting rid of it. See, I thought we would see another set release and then the format wouldn't change at all. And they'd ban it like midway through Streets of New Cabana or something. That, mm-hmm. That's what my money was on. Uh, definitely wasn't on like you know two weeks ago i really appreciate the no announcement of un- just monday here's a ban it's Luris in modern because it's getting a lot of play in modern and in pioneer because one day it'll get a lot of play in pioneer well it is played a lot in pioneer already it's just not as ubiquitous as it is in modern because right. the card was a lot smaller but yeah it, <laughs> excellent excellent ban and the easiest ban of all time not just because it's like the bad thing about banning cards is that it destroys a lot of confidence or people can't play their decks anymore like even when they banned oko or uro mm-hmm. there were entire decks built around that those cards and people just couldn't play them anymore oh yeah that's not the case with Luris. you just play the same deck and you put a different card in your side for it <laughs> and and granted your deck is worse so you should should change things but the base, like I'm playing Jund with Luris this week, I guess I'll play Jund. It's not that different, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously Luris was very powerful. It wasn't necessarily at the win percentage level that necessitates a ban, but it also was forcing you to deck build to Luris constraints in like several quarters of the metagame, several different types of deck just oh i can build this as a luris deck therefore this has to be a luris deck kind of frustrating when it's just a a decision that's made for you and the fact that you know shadow you have to build it this way hammer you have to build it this way you know there's pretty different decks that luris is just demanding be luris decks and it makes the games though they are pretty interesting like the luris v luris decks Mm-hmm. It can feel pretty lopsided sometimes if your Luris gets dispatched really quickly and then your opponent still has theirs. Like, well, you just know the game's over. And the vast majority of those Luris matchups, especially between Thoughtseize Luris decks, is entirely about the Lurises that each player is starting with and figuring out a way to get your Luris into play and not dead and get value. Like, the game, so many of the games are about that one thing over and over again rather than 
you know dependent on the cards that are drawn in the game and the only relatively minor complaint i have about the loris ban is i wish that they would have like disallowed its use as a companion because i think loris the card is like pretty cool i, I mm-hmm. like loris the card i wish sure. i could put it in a deck like, i don't know what deck that would be but it seems comparable to like season pyromancer type of deal mm-hmm. where it's a value card but I just can't play it at all, and that's a price I'm willing to pay, but I'm a little disappointed in it. Yeah, I don't think that's like a huge loss. I don't no, know how much no. play main deck Luris would see. Well, it'd see a lot more in Pioneer than Modern. Sure. Yeah, that's probably true. So, as far as effects on the format, Grixis Death Shadow won the Super Qualifier, so we're not really... Like this is not this is not a ban where a bunch of your cards became worthless. It, it, it's exactly the same thing. It's what I just said. Like you, you know, you played yeah. Loris Death Shadow and you lost Loris, so you're 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 playing Death Shadow. Like you still have a good deck. So so there is a significantly lower amount of Death Shadow. Yes, thankfully, a lot fewer thought seizes going on, and I think that that is a nice breath of fresh air to the format because we were getting into a very Death Shadow heavy meta game for a while. And, you know, while I love a Death Shadow deck, when it's like, boy, I play this twice every single league that I play, is it's not the my favorite way to play Magic, getting Thoughtseize turn one every game. Uh, yeah, I, I'm the best part about Lurus's Ban, as we've always said, hoping for it, was that it would just open the format up to more mm-hmm. things being able to be played. And that's true. Yeah, I mean, we look at this Super Qualifier, eight different decks in top eight including storm sneaking into seventh place yeah that's uh where where have you been buddy baral chief of compliance goblin electromancer these cards are still legal in modern there are a couple neat uh cards i don't i guess i'm pulling up the wrong challenge or something but i i know i remember the storm list it had two of the new kamigawa card that like looks at the top four and you set one aside and you can cast it for free uh discover the impossible yeah top top five yeah and it also had yeah top five sorry and it had galvanic relay on the sideboard both both of which are additions i have not seen in storm because no one plays this tech for like two years or now so it also had two wish in the main deck and so you can grab you know a past in flames or a galvanic relay from the sideboard depending on what you're doing and it's you know lots, lots of neat stuff and it definitely took advantage of this weekend with there being fewer Death Shadow decks and maybe less graveyard hate going on. And this was the weekend to play your Storm deck that you've been working on and then maybe put it away for a while. And yeah, just <laughs> I, I cannot in good confidence recommend that anyone play Storm unless <laughs> your budget is like $200 and you already own lands. Yeah. Like then you're good to go. Just play Storm. You don't have to. <laughs> it's it, it is way... the cheapest deck. Yes, it's, it's always been the cheapest deck. And I mean, you might not win a lot, but you can win. It's proven right here. Mm-hmm. Yep, it is possible. Uh, Death Shadow looking a little different. Ari Zaks taking down the qualifier tournament. So congratulations to the doppelganger here running. You know, you get to run Murktide Regent in your Death Shadow deck these days. And that's cool. It's a new thing. It's kind of a combination of old things. This is a little bit of, you know, plays in the middle of is it murktide and and death shadow and doesn't have that luris engine so you do need to kill them at some point and murktide is a good way of doing that can i talk a 
just a smidgen about the nitty-gritty of like death shadow deck list card choices of course because i'm not a i'm not a death shadow player right mm-hmm. but i am a deck list consumer mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of of different death shadow decks posted because a lot of people love the archetype yep and the most interesting points of contention to me are uh, are you playing Merchide region or not how many are you playing uh like are in this list are played for and then the other thing which i don't think has gotten that much press but i'm always looking at these deck lists i wonder about it a lot street wraith or no street wraith mm-hmm. because now that is gone you can just slam a street wraith back in your deck right and that was a thing in the old death shadow decks where death shadow is your premier threat yep. so anything to make death shadow better and more consistent to getting it to street was just worth playing mm-hmm. and when we removed luris and modern horizons 2 came out or when we got luris like the street reds disappeared completely there's just no you it was not worth it and honestly i don't think this deck needs street wraith at all <laughs> because your, your cards are just way better now you have ragavan and dragon's reach Chandler, plus whatever secondary threat you want to play whether it's croxa or murktide regent sure and while Street Wraith does help both of those cards, either Croxa or Murktide Regent, because they're Delve cards, essentially, mm-hmm. it doesn't help Murktide Regent that much because it's not a spell. Right. Like, it does reduce its Delve cost, but it doesn't make it any bigger. And I just don't think it's really worth its deck space. Like You, you can put better cards in your list. Ari Zax didn't play it when he won the challenge. Uh, and there's another Death Shadow deck that got third uh in the modern challenge that didn't play murktide regent and just went street rates and croxes mm-hmm. and i think there's a lot of experimentation you can still do with death shadow decks but i don't think it should include uh, street wraith yeah i mean like street wraith is obviously a very complicated card to analyze the costs are low to putting it in your deck but they're real it's two life that you have to pay you don't have the option like you do with you know Shocklands. you can kind of choose to manage your life total you have to pay the two life with it you also don't know what it is when it's in your opening hand it's a random card so if you need a land maybe it's a land but maybe it's not and so it kind of hurts your mulligan decision so there are some costs to it and you have to make sure that you're getting enough out of having it in your deck i think when your delve threat is murktide regent then that lowers the advantage of having street wraith in your deck when you are not a team or battle rage deck then that lowers the advantage of having Street Wraith in your deck because you're not as all-in on making your Death Shadows as big as possible, as quickly as possible. Uh, You could be a team or Battle Rage deck at some point. Like, that may be a way that somebody wants to go. And if you are, then I think you're supposed to have Street Wraith. But I don't think that makes a lot of sense when you have access to Expressive Iteration. So Not only Expressive Iteration, but also Dress Down. Mm -hmm. Like, Dress Down does a lot of the auxiliary work the team about a rage does it doesn't like push you through a blocker to destroy them right Mm -hmm. but it does a lot of the i'll make my death shadows bigger to like win a combat Mm -hmm. while also like destroying urza saga and all the then permeable titan all that other random stuff dress dress down does right and now this list does have dress down in the sideboard obviously it's less good when you're not a luris deck a thing you got to consider is where you're putting your dress downs you can easily justify having them in the main deck though if you think you're going to play against a lot of urza sagas so one thing ari zax's list had in the sideboard which i like is season pyromancer i mm-hmm. think that's one of the better cards that gets unlocked you know, unlocked by luris essentially mm-hmm. 
But R.A. Lax, the other R.A., made a good point on Twitter today that Fable of the Mirror Breaker, the enchantment mm-hmm. from Kamigawa, does a really good imitation of Season Prime Answer in that it's a, a three-mana 2-2 two, two, that then you rummage, and then you get another 2-2. Two, two. Mm-hmm. So, I, and the 2-2 two, two is a kiki-jiki, right? <laughs> like, yeah. it's, a, it's a good one. Yeah, we saw that card do a lot of work this weekend. Mostly with the crazy Ravenous Rats card. But that, yeah. that helped it, but it also was at least in the alchemy format a very good just like turn three card advantagey play where it puts a thing on the board and then helps fix your hand especially in your deck that's running like nine removal spells or whatever and maybe you need to get rid of them and then the the kiki jiki that it puts into play like has to die or it's going to do something gross and i think there's some pros and cons between like season Primancer or fable of mirror breaker like they do different stuff Mm-hmm. Or they have different applications, despite doing mostly the same thing, right? Uh, based on how their bodies are distributed and how when you get the cards and all that, and if you can go up cards in the case of Season Pyromancer, yeah, right. Season Pyromancer, you can actually go up in cards if your hand's low. Can't do that with Kiki Jiki. Yeah. So I think generally, like I would lean towards Season Pyromancer in Thoughtseize decks more. Ooh, wait, I, I, the mana consideration is huge to me. It's true. Season Pyromancer is double red, and Fable is only single red. That's that's a big deal. Also, playing another enchantment can give you better odds for Unholy Heat, but that's probably not that big a deal with yeah. Dragon's Rage Chandler. I did watch. So, you know, one of the things to that that happened is like Murktide. Is it Murktide became the most heavily played deck this weekend? in pretty much all of the tournaments that you can look at. I, I think it was just kind of the go-to. Like, we don't... There's no Luris anymore. Let's play this good deck that... The only reason it wasn't really the best deck is because it wasn't allowed to play Luris. Now nobody's allowed to play Luris. Obviously, taking into account different metagame shifts and stuff. But it got heavily played this weekend. I was watching one player play it on stream who just kept running into various four-color decks and his deck looked atrocious because terrible things kept happening to him and then omnath kept coming into play one of the funniest things about these blood moon decks is that they're really bad against the four the color four deck. color deck has all these basics and abundant growth in it yeah it, it's you should sideboard out your blood moons against the four color it's decks awful against them yeah yeah it's not worth drawing it's <laughs> that is really really true shoot what was my point there sorry <laughs> No, I lost my point while I was like. So you're watching a streamer play the no, I, I like matchup. I lost my point when I was giving that rundown, so oh. I have no idea what, <laughs> what I was trying to say. It related back to Death Shadow somehow. Oh, uh, so one of the things that I kept seeing too, and maybe it was just the particular build of that Merkside deck, but with no thought scours, they were really, really struggling to hit Delirium in the Merktide deck, and I don't know. Uh, so so in a, a Death Shadow deck, I think it's much easier because there's way more sorceries in it. So that that's something that when you're building your Murktide deck, I think you got to be careful about your Delirium enabling because I've seen some versions that are not good at making their Dragon's Rage Channelers hit their opponent, and that's spewing like a lot of the power of the deck. Yeah, I, I think Murktide Regent, Dragon's Rage Channeler, and Sorcery Speed Discard is the core to a good deck. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be Shadow. The Shadow is a really efficient threat and probably is included in the deck anyway. But it's just like that's just a good core to start. And I think that's why Ari did well in the tournament. Once you have Murktide Regent in your Shadow deck, you are 
a little more vulnerable to solitude. And that's something that is worth considering how much solitude is in the metagame because, you know, it's definitely overestimated how good solitude was against shadow originally but once you have a big delve threat in your deck that solitude takes care of cleanly then you you actually are potentially putting yourself into spots where oh the solitude's very good against me luckily at least the way the format is now there's not like honestly there's not that many more solitudes than there were previously no and i was wondering like oh you know was luris the good guy in the like elemental incarnation versus not elemental incarnation metagame share battle was it i'm gonna play as many elemental incarnations as i can unless i'm playing luris which doesn't allow me to play them was was like luris carrying a load there and from these results it really doesn't look like that we're not as heavy on just like all in solitude fury decks or anything like that yeah like four color still a good deck but it's got mm-hmm all its normal problems and that's an 80 card monstrosity with no clear theme it just plays a bunch of really good cards it's infuriating to me that goldfish labels it four color blink just because it has yorion i guess but like the deck with ephemerate is very different from the deck that's not going it like if you're going to label it blink to me that means it has ephemerates and eternal witnesses in it and that's very different from the like ten planeswalker Omnath deck, and I, I would appreciate shorthands that don't like just lead me astray when I look at them. I agree with you, but I am gonna be thankful that Mad- MTG Goldfish is nowhere nearly as bad as MTG Melee. So mm-hmm. you know, keep up the good work, Goldfish. <laughs> I love you. Please don't start naming every deck Abzan Control. Yeah. Well, I mean. It starts getting frustrating when you go look at like historic or pioneer decks and they're just like named after the colors and and you don't know you don't know what to do with yourself. A couple of living end decks in these results. The ninth place deck for the qualifier. Kind of interesting. It's a no grief deck. I don't know how I feel about that since grief is usually the card that lets you just shatter people's dreams and win games that you shouldn't have won otherwise. So I'm not like a huge fan of cutting it, but I do understand it because you get to cut your architects of will and it also makes your like sideboarding a lot better because you end up with this package of if you want grief in, then you have to keep in all of your street wraiths and all of your architects of will and you can't meddle around with those numbers or you don't have the black cards. So there is some encouragement to cut grief from your deck in order to allow yourself to be a little more flexible. This list has, you know, like different forms of main deck interaction in some dead gones. There's, you know, a Valakut Awakening in one of the land slots. Uh, actually, not in one of the land slots and as, as an additional land. And uh, that that is kind of nice to have that flexibility. But grief is just like pretty overwhelmingly powerful and really coherent with the game plan the big upgrades to this deck are i mean sky turtle is nice to have the big upgrades are odawara and bozeshu though those are just huge like this deck wouldn't appear on this list at all if it weren't for the printing of odawara and bozeshu odawara is particularly powerful against a fairy time raveler yes very very important so because can't counter it and you can cast it at instant speed you can channel at instant speed it's 
Yeah. I, I heard tales of Collins at a team tournament a few weeks ago routinely, you know, this was right after Kamigawa came out, routinely bouncing his opponents to fairy in a control mirror and then countering the spell they were casting. Jeez. And they were just being dumbfounded, like, well, hold on. Wait. My spell was supposed to resolve. <laughs> Is that legal? I will make it legal by bouncing your Teferi. Disgusting. Yeah, it's it's nice. I, I've been super impressed with Odawaru. I, I know Baseju gets a lot of the hype, deservedly. It's it's very good. Mm-hmm. But honestly, most of the power I see in Baseju is that it's f- like a free spell slot in your land, your mana base. Mm-hmm. Whereas Odawaru lets you solves a real problem that you couldn't yeah. solve before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I when we were talking about it before, I was like kind of medium on it until we realized. Oh, this bounces to fairy on there, and then it's oh, this is just a card that does a thing that nothing else does, and it does an important thing. It's nice. It's good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, you know, hammer time just not really gonna go anywhere. It didn't lean on Luris for obviously Luris made it better, and Luris made it harder to attack. So hammer time existing without Luris is just. This is the healthiest version of this deck for modern, I believe. And I've heard tale that over time, like Hammer gets more and more powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because its cards changes, it's just like the format changes, and it doesn't have to work around Hammer being like such a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. So that Hammer just like gets better by people not preying on it so directly, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, kind of like not... a like an infect deal. When it's not just like, yeah, I gotta play the the third force of vigor in my sideboard, then. And Nettle Cyst is really good. Nettle it's Cyst really is good. really good. Yeah, you don't have to run Cauldra. You just run multiple Nettle Cysts because it's gigantic and it's a, a huge thing to get with your Stoneforge Mystic when you are not doing the hammer thing. Uh, it's a great alternate plan. People are playing Nettle Cyst and like a Sword of Fire and Ice is what you usually see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. It seems to me that Nettle Cyst is just generically better. Like, you don't need the card advantage from Sword, Fire, and Ice, and it doesn't... This third place list is just running three Nettle Cysts, and okay, I love cool. it. I'm really into it. Is this in the, the challenge? Th- or is this, this is some other place? still in the qualifiers. This was a big old qualifier, so it's mainly yeah, what I'm looking oh, at. Oh, I see. Yeah. See, I, I looked at a bunch of deck lists, and most most of the Hammer deck lists just play, like, a Nettle Cyst and like a Sword, Fire, and Ice. That's, right. like, the stock and it's so weird to me because Nettle Cyst is so much better than any sword you could play. And you love drawing Nettle Cyst, and I don't think you like drawing sword. So right, yeah. Like, if any sword you want to play, it's sort of War and Peace because the protections are the most relevant sure. by a lot. I see that in the sideboard of... Uh, yeah, it's even in this third place list. There's a sort of War and Peace in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. I, like, people yeah. I respect have started sideboarding in that card because it's really good against like fury solitude and just removal people play mm-hmm. yeah this is and rng specialist i think that's tyler nightingale it so is. Mm-hmm. yeah so strong deck builder and uh i think this is a well-built hammer deck yeah i, I still think hammer is a good deck you can't really go wrong with the strategy it has like it yeah it's tested like it's good yep <laughs> you don't yeah. have luris so you don't like win all your grindy games more or less for free anymore mm-hmm. you have to work a lot but urza saga still does a lot of good work there yep and you can still run the reality chip if you're interested in that avenue and mm-hmm. i 
love this deck existing in modern and i appreciate it much more when it's not a Luris deck like i like that if you want to beat it and you play your force of vigors then you're not just gonna like eventually lose to their Luris. you can commit to beating it and beat it that way and that's good and healthy i'm gonna tangent for no real reason because i learned a weird rules interaction today mm-hmm. did you know so reconfigure like the reality chip they can attach to creatures like with cigars eight or the reconfigure ability mm-hmm. and they stop being a creature right but what's weird is when it dress down is involved oh no if you if you play a reality chip and like cigar aid triggers and you go to move it to something mm-hmm. and your opponent plays dress down it, it can't attach to the creature anymore because it loses all of its abilities equipments need reconfigure in order to right right exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, because regular equipment can't attach to creature or can't be a creature and attach to a creature. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Because the recon right reconfigure is the thing that makes it no longer a creature when it attaches. Or yeah, 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 you're right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a really weird thing I learned today, and maybe it comes up in your games where your opponent like reality chips, you just have a dress down in your hand, kind of rotting there, just slam it down so they can't get a free equip. Mm-hmm. And then they can't look at the top card of their library either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that that is a really interesting interaction but yeah that's that's super important to know i wanted to bring up a point about jundi decks you know i love jund yeah that is the one deck that i think the lurus benton really damaged was zoomer jund yes Yes. but honestly i think most of that is because people love jund from like when alara reborn was released and they can't let it go right like I, i think a lot of that is inertia and, and Zoomer think... Jund was on life support during this recent Grixis Death Shadow ascendancy. Like, almost everybody switched to Death Shadow. Yeah. And I'm not saying Jund is like an up-and-comer ready to, to go on a comeback tour or anything. But I do think Grist is a mm-hmm. gigantic winner from Lurus being banned. Yeah. Because unlike Lilian of the Veil, Grist is actually good. Mm-hmm. So in, in multiple situations, right? And people have been playing. I've seen lists online of people just messing around with cores of uh, like Jund color base, and then playing Red and Six and Grist as like your heavy hitting planeswalkers. Yeah, and they are a really good value core, and you just like jam Ragavan in there, like all, all the expensive cards. You know, you know what to do once mm-hmm. you're playing Modern Presence too or Modern. But, I mean, Ragavan into turn two Grist is really powerful. That's a great start. Yeah, there was a list. I put it in the show notes. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, 11th place in the Super Qualifier. That's just a food deck. And you know, normally in the Luris era, it was all small things. Ravenous Squirrel, Cauldron Familiar Cat, Ren Six, all that, all that. It's mostly the same, but you get to play some really heavy hitters uh, in Grist and Mayhem Devil. Mm-hmm. And this deck... This specific deck plays Gigantha as a companion, but, you know, that's not, like, gotta play Gigantha kind of deal. <laughs> I love this uh, for Mishra's Bauble, but the synergy is not with Luris or Emery, or an- it's with Ravenous Squirrel and with uh, Mayhem Devil. Yeah, it's it's nice. Just because it's a sacrifice synergy, not an artifact synergy, that's dope. Yeah, well, Luris was a, a free card synergy, not I, <laughs> Yeah, 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 but... but- you know, this is different from uh, 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 any of the other Misha's bobble. The things you're getting from the bobble here are different. 
and I like and, that. And this isn't a like Jundy Jund deck. It has Jund colors, but it's mostly a, like a food synergy deck, sacrifice deck. You've got the squirrels, the familiars, the mayhem devil, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have seen people posting lists or brainstorming lists around like Grit, Grist and Ren and Six being like your value core uh-huh. to supplement your normal creature stuff. And if I wanted to play Jund, that is the first place I would start. Yeah, I think Grist is really good and probably one of the most powerful ways to grind low resource games. So, I mean, most played decks from this tournament and generally this weekend, uh, Murktide, Hammer, and Amulet seeing a lot of play right now, too. That seems a little tough in a when the other two most played decks are Murktide and Hammer. But, you know, people love Amulet. I, I can't be too mad about that. Bozeju is good against Hammer. Bozeju is very good against Hammer. Uh, not as... It feels impossible to win with Hammer when your opponent has a Brennan 6 Bosaju because yeah. you can't go for it every turn mm-hmm. and your opponent always has the answer for it. So you just like have to like amass this huge stockpile of resources before your opponent can so you can go off multiple times in a turn. Yeah. So your opponent can't Bosaju you out every single turn. And every turn you don't force them to Bosaju, they get to be doing their other stuff. Yeah, exactly. It, it's... So Amulet is not going to do that because they don't have Renin 6. They just are always going to have a Besaju because they have access to it so easily. Yeah, yeah. I I don't have a lot to say. I I think Amulet was just a a good deck before Mm -hmm. the Luris ban, and it's still a good deck after. Like, I don't think it's the best deck in the format. I don't know if there is a clear best deck in the format. There just isn't right now. I I don't think there's anything that I can say, like, this is going to win the challenges next weekend. Like, it's modern. There were eight... Like, if you look at these top eight decks from the, you know, like this, the Hunter Burden Open and the Super Qualifier and the Challenge, there's like like 15 or 16 different decks across those top eights, so. And Amulet's just a good deck. I would not tell everyone to not play it. I wouldn't tell anyone to not play Amulet if they wanted to play it in Modern. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's another proactive deck that does its thing and has like, you know, no bad matchups. <laughs> that's that's a meme yeah i every game is just like intensely draw dependent yours or your opponents depending on what deck your opponent is playing like that's how amulet works uh though in the hunter burton memorial top eight there were two kind of standout like outlier decks mm-hmm. uh goblins and breach like under an underworld breach combo deck yeah uh, i want to talk about goblins first because basically no one's playing goblins <laughs> though aspiring spike has been on kind of like a kick a goblin kick okay just like has been playing it in leagues every now and then on and off mm-hmm. and sadly i watch history muted a lot of the time for various reasons Being so i don't at work get, as i don't know i don't yeah it work is one of them <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know why he's he's playing goblins so much but I know he doesn't play decks that he doesn't think have a, a, a chance of competing. And mm-hmm. a top eight here is promising. I do know that Goblins is really good against decks that can't get through a lot of creatures. Or like Death Shadow is not good against a board that can assemble itself over and over and over again. That yeah. has a bunch of redundancy. Uh, it's just Mer- not... Murktide, is it Murktide is terrible against this deck? It's horrible. They can't counter any. It's a cavern vile deck right. that has infinite creatures. Like, yes. They're just not going to do anything. Right. And your interaction is unholy heat counterspell. Like, like it's just not going to work. 
No. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always enough. The goblins' strength is that there's just a million of them, and they just keep coming. It's really, like, the way the deck is in competitive play is, like, really flavorful and so in line with the idea of goblins. It's really nice that it worked out this way, honestly. I, I'm i very satisfied by the, the deck. Honestly, goblins and elves are my two favorite like tribal decks because mm -hmm. they actually have an identity right <laughs> and it, they're doing something endemic to like what they're about yes as opposed to like humans and merfolk which are just like all right here's creatures i got and bump spells you know no like legacy elves is like yes this is what elves would do like this feels about right sacrifice themselves to summon a hydra god that's that's yeah in the books <laughs> is it I have no be. idea. It could be. <laughs> I'm more talking about like interacting with Gaia's cradle and untapping yeah, it. And, you know. yeah. I just went for the the more Alara focused one because I'm getting ready for this tricolor set. Sure. So I I just thought Goblins was neat. I don't think it's going to be like a a metagame mainstay, especially mm -hmm. if it doesn't get any new cards. But it is neat to keep an eye on and be like, this is a a deck you can play sometimes. It just isn't a terrible choice, you know? Yeah. And when Goblins first was a deck that you could play with the Conspicuous Snoop, Bogget Harbinger combo in it, the thing that was holding it back was that Prowess was one of the most heavily played decks in the format. That is no longer a deck in Modern, so Lava Dart is not here to ruin your day. Fury and Renin Six are around. They're, they can be bad for you. They're not quite as horrifying as Lava Dart is out of a Prowess deck against this deck. So, And you always get the... The two drop goblin that can hit planeswalkers too. I don't remember the name. Munitions expert. Munitions maybe? expert. Yeah. 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 So Ren and Six is not necessarily as big of a problem. Fury is gross. Fury okay. is gross. Can't can't stop that one. Yes. And if people start putting plague engineer in their sideboards again, like God forbid. But you know. Yeah. And with no Luris, plague engineer, perhaps a playable magic card once again. It really just depends on the makeup of the format. I don't think it's playable right now, particularly. Mm -hmm. Like you can throw it in your sideboard if you want to, but I don't know why you would. Yeah, I mean, there's no humans. Like goblins is a fringe deck that maybe could be well positioned. If you just there's know no... someone in like a tournament you're going to is gonna be playing goblins and you just hate them, yeah, by all there means, there you go. <laughs> right, but like there's not, and and there aren't really as many splash decks that you get hit with it, like noble hierarch decks or things like that. Uh, just like the creatures are not the type that are vulnerable to Plague Engineer in most of the decks that people are playing. Uh, the other deck in this top eight that I thought was interesting or unusual was the, the Breach deck. This deck has been not absent for modern. It, it like pops up here and there. It spikes the random challenge. I've never really top eights mm -hmm. uh, except for here, but I do think this... This deck is a lot more powerful now that you know you don't have to play against Death Shadow every other round. Yes. Basically. Nightmare matchup. Yes, the nightmare matchup. Uh, and this is just a simple blue-red, Dragon's Rage Channeler, Ragavan Emery, trying to assemble the grinding station underworld breach combo where you, you mill out your deck and then mm -hmm. play Thassa's Oracle and what I I really like this deck because of the it doesn't feel like you're that far away from a, a deck build that actually works really mm -hmm. well in a, in a couple of different matchups. Like, I think the deck's A plan is pretty good. People aren't playing Stony Silence or Rest in Peace at all. Right. Or Karn, the great creator. So mm -hmm. you're safe from all that nonsense hate cards. 
Yeah, the, the graveyard hate is the one-shot graveyard hate, mostly. Yes. There's a lot of Which, lanterns and whatever. En- endurance is very good against mm-hmm. this style of deck. But one of the things that I like about this is that you're playing Raghavan and Urza Saga, mm-hmm. which give you a ton of long game pressure uh, randomly because you just get to grind a lot. And one of the weird things about this deck is that Urza Saga grabbing Mox Amber, even if it's like your second or third copy, is still pretty good because you can really leverage extra mana with Underworld Breach while you're trying to go off. But like yeah. you can make yourself very safe. The thing I think this deck is missing is like a viable like plan B. Mm-hmm. Like Urza Saga Ragavan is fine. Like you can win with Shadow Spear tokens. Shadow Spear plus tokens. That's not a problem. But it's not like anything special that other decks don't do. You know, like people are geared to be right. that anyway. They can bring in some dress downs alongside their whatever their artifact removal they're running is. And every sideboard I've ever seen of this deck doesn't really address this. What, what I think is an issue with this deck mm-hmm. is just mostly anti-hate cards, which is saying that my A-plan is good, which I think it is. The, the Grinding Station Breach A-plan is good. Therefore, I'm just not going to play against enough hate where my counter-hate will... It'll win me the game. Like, I'm going to win through it. And, and that's reasonable if you think mm-hmm. that's what... I mean, Storm has done that forever, ever since Storm has existed, right? Yeah. You're just Your combo plan is the I'm only going, thing... I'm going to Storm... So I just need to stop you from stopping me. That's the only way that we get here. Yeah. But I think, especially with the Kamigawa cards, there's a lot of artifacts and artifact synergies in this in that set. Mm-hmm. This t- top eight decks plays only Odawara out of it. Yeah. Which is a really good pickup, but not really in the sphere of what I'm talking about. Right. I, I think there's some room to like work on this deck list and make it a little better against everything. So I, I hope people work on that. I've been trying to... I was really impressed with Tameshi in a modern event mm-hmm. I played this weekend. Not with Breach, just like a random meme deck I was playing. Yeah. I wanted to try this deck with Tameshi a lot, which mm-hmm. does make your mana worse, which, you know, it's not clear if that's good or bad. But that's kind of where I want to turn to this deck. I, I really like this deck. Yeah. Unlike in the past where I've, it's been a, pest, a pet deck and I think it's not that great because of all the shadow and stuff that was good. Right now, I think it's just like a fine deck that you can work on and probably do well with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just there is a certain amount of room opened up by you not having to assume you're going to play against Death Shadow three times over the course of a tournament. And you can, this deck is laughably stomps four color. Like they just don't play on the same axis as you. No, their cards don't interact. They can play an Omnath and it just doesn't matter. And one of the, to like pivot to kind of a four color adjacent discussion, one of the things I saw following the ban of Luris was people being scared that Yorion decks would just cover the format and just kind of take Luris's place, mm-hmm. which is, I, I thought was kind of premature or maybe a little silly. Sure. Because not all decks can be Luris decks. Even though it's really fun to when people try to make all decks Luris decks. That, or Yorion decks. That I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, some Yorion humans, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some Yorion amulet, you know. I mean, really... Yorion humans is like, you know, blink of those Thalilies, lieutenants. That's, that's not bad. The thing is, unlike Luris making every deck with it as its companion just straight better in deck building, Yorion right. does not do that. Right. Because now you're playing three 
Thalia's lieutenants effectively instead of four, and that's maybe maybe having access to the Orion doesn't actually help help you out when you have fewer Thalia's lieutenants. And this is, and the decks that Yorian lends himself to naturally, like the four color decks or control or mid range piles, mm-hmm. do have prominent weaknesses to yes. kind of sidestepy decks like Grinding Breach or everyone's favorite deck that's now making a return, uh, Tron. There's mm-hmm. actually a, a fair bit of Tron in these results, if you notice. Just yeah. monograde Tron just kind of coming back up and beating yeah, up people. Tough to beat with a lot of these Yorion decks, yeah. And and it's not like... Uh, personally, I would not get invested into playing Tron. Like, I think it has its moments in a metagame, but it's Modern's kind of passed it by mm-hmm. in terms of power level. But that's not to say you can't just sleeve up a Tron deck and crush a weekend of people only playing, like, mid-range decks. Also, Bozeju Renin 6 exists now. And not that that makes this deck, like, hugely worse, but you are signing up for the opportunity to have some of the most miserable games of your life if you register Tron in the face of Bozeju Renin 6 existing. I, yeah, I think most decks that play Renin 6 Bozeju are probably going to be worse against this deck anyway honestly mm-hmm. like it, it's not going to come up to the point where they don't already have something in play that's going to be hard for that deck to beat usually well i mean like like that's a route that the four color decks can take you know to have a game plan against tron where they yes. wouldn't otherwise that, that's so. that's their only game plan though, right which is, it's, it's draw these two cards together <laughs> which is uh yeah that's rough yeah yeah i don't i don't think tron is like the truth or anything like that but certainly you can spike a weekend with it now where and it's like i would never last you know last month when loris is everywhere and death shadow and hammer and all that stuff i would never have expected to play against tron mm-hmm. ever it's just not something that was gonna do well or i didn't think anyone would play it right and i don't think that's the case anymore i think there are legitimate reasons to play tron if you want to if you have the cards or whatever uh so it is something to be aware of like you can't just skimp entirely and it's nice because like cards like alpine moon and blood moon are always already good against urza saga so you get some incidental hate there anyway but yeah it, it tron exists again uh eldrazi tron however does not the creatures are still too large your five fives are a little bit pathetic when you have to battle against primeval titan and murktide regent and you know your uh, constructs are smaller than other people's constructs. So, I mean, the most played cards in this challenge, not even super qualifier. Uh, there's Force of Vigor, great <laughs> against, great against Delrazitron. Teferi Time Lover, pretty good against them. Solitude, excellent. <laughs> it's just like a, a unholy heat. There's just so much more removal that kills your like air yeah. quotes huge creatures that you, it's just you've lost your reason to play the deck. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. If you want to play huge creatures and smash them up uh, ahead of curve, just play Rhino. <laughs> yeah, and even that is kind of like a... I'm not sure that I ever totally bought into... Like, there certainly were times where it was a good deck and perhaps the best deck. I, I don't know that I've ever totally bought into the... Let's make these 4-4s. <laughs> it's modern. <laughs> these 4-4s are good enough, right? I mean, you know I didn't. I was always on the other the other Cascade decks as being yeah. more powerful. But, I mean, Crash of Falls did win the challenge this weekend. It mm-hmm. is, no, if true. nothing else, a very consistent deck. 
and if that's your thing then definitely you get to play a bunch of like pretty good interaction you get to cheat that cascade in a bunch of like neat ways footfalls is is probably fine oh just to go back to the like Luris yorian thing like i'm not huge i don't love having yorian around that much but it certainly is much less of a problem because of what it adds to decks like Luris, you get to take your deck that is really aggressive or really disruptive and very good against linear decks and then you get to add in free grindiness to a deck that like probably wasn't very good at grinding so you get to yeah. shore up a huge weakness you add yorion to a deck almost always that's a deck with a bunch of like value stuff in it and you get another piece of value for free by making your deck 80 cards and while Yorion can be obnoxious, it is not solving problems for these decks in ways that Luris solved problems for decks. I, I, I agree. That's why I don't think Yorion's a problem. The only time I think Yorion has like added dimension to a deck that didn't exist previously was when it was in the standard Luka decks. Sure. Where you, you, know, you didn't play any creatures, so Yorion was a creature you could put to your hand right. and then just transmogrify. Yeah. That's not really a thing in modern, so it's it's fine, you know? Yeah. That also had a bunch of gross interactions with fires and stuff like yes. that, so... Yeah. And I believe all those cards are legal in Pioneer? Is Fires banned? I, it might be. Uh, no, Fires is legal because it's in the Enigmatic Incarnation. Deck. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so you can you can play those all in Pioneer if you want. Mm -hmm. That's the place. There's no Luris around there anymore, so who who knows? Yeah, but there are better cards in Pioneer even then. There are good <laughs> like, cards. Pioneer is a good format. Like it's, there's certainly strong cards in it. Yes, for sure. I I want to get back into Pioneer a little bit. I was mostly playing some modern. I'll probably play modern for a little while longer over the next week or so just to keep getting a feel for what's going on. But I'll check back in with Pioneer at some point. I haven't looked at it in a bit now, but. I assume it's still fine since no one really works on it that much. Right, right. It's like gonna be fun, and if you put the time into it, then you can have success because other people are not doing that. So that's the last thing I was impressed by was a red-black sacrifice deck mm -hmm. that used experimental synthesizer and meat hook masker with Luris. But obviously, mm -hmm. you can't do that anymore. Can't do that. Banned. Yeah. <laughs> but it did only... look it did look really neat. Oni Colt Anvil and synthesizer. Those that's a nice combo. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I definitely am interested in Anvil decks in any format that I can do that. I think Anvil is a really sweet card. I I even played against an Anvil deck this weekend, mm -hmm. uh, mostly inspired by aspiring Spike stuff, even without Luris. Uh, it was a Gigantha deck, because I guess you can't give up companions or something. <laughs> sure. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I think it, you, you do get it for pretty much free in a lot of those builds. So Yeah. Uh, Gigantha, not... Uh, not a problem. Not 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 ever mad about that card. Gigantha's a good boy. Yeah, it's just there. I mean, it's like a dumb design or whatever, but it's there. I like Gigantha. <laughs> Tap in for five colors of mana, but you can't use any of it. That's just, <laughs> that's just nice. So, exactly. It's awful. It's so dumb. <laughs> and it's just like, you never are a Gigantha deck. Nobody is like, this is my Gigantha companion. It's like, you look at your 60 and you're like, oh, I guess... I I guess I could play a Gigantha. Well, the closest thing to a Gigantha deck you get is the Jeskai Sinancy deck in Pioneer, which actually is a really good Gigantha deck. Okay. Because, you, yeah. you know, you can play a tricolor spell and then use it. <laughs> and then you actually use your thing. Granted, you do have to keep track of, like, your green mana or whatever, but right, your black but, mana. <laughs> but, but, yeah, like, as Yorion, 
added a dimension to the Lucas X. Like, Jagetha adds a dimension to the Jeskai Ascendancy decks because you need a mana creature in play for your combo to work, and Jagetha is technically a mana creature. Yeah, it's the biggest one. <laughs> it's a really big one. It costs eight <laughs> mana. God, I love Jagetha. If we if we banned all companions, just I would keep, be sad for just Jagetha. One around, yeah. <laughs> and Lutri, the two elementals, you know. Mm, that's fair. Wait, is Kahira an elemental? No, it's a cat beast, right? I don't know. There's like a million creature types on that card. Yes, it's a cat beast. I got it. Nice. Well I'm done. a genius. Yeah. I don't know why it would need to be. I guess it's a cat with horns, so that makes it a beast. It was a Coria. Things were just all over the place. There's a pangolin in the Coria. Zerda is also an elemental, though. So Ooh, an elemental fox. Elemental fox, yes. Which okay. is a great creature type. Yes. Uh, which one is the pangolin? Uh, Gloom pangolin or something? It's a random common in a Coria. Oh, right. I do. It's, it's, like, it's like a really big black creature, yeah. Yeah. It's like a one five or something. I don't. I, I I can see the art so well, and I know it just is huge. Yes. Yes. It's just a three metal one five. Yeah. What a waste of the nightmare pangolin creature type. <laughs> yeah, we're a little off the reservation now. Yeah. You want to talk about anything else in modern, uh, or I guess at this point, pioneer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so what? What would you play going forward in modern? Like, what if you were just like you had to play a local or a challenge this weekend? What do you think you'd register? I mean, I would I would play breach. I yeah. just I want to work on it. I think it's good. Yeah. I don't think it's like the highest EV or anything, mm-hmm. but I think modern is in the place where you can play a deck you're comfortable with and you're not losing all that much percentage points. Like, if you like playing four color, you can just play four color. Like, I don't think four color is the best deck. Or anything mm-hmm. like that it's just a solid deck yeah and that's kind of how i feel about every deck in modern right now like it's not clear to me that anything is ahead of the curve no i i agree i think there's some stuff that is behind the curve but i don't think that you can number one i don't i don't think there's a way to identify a meta for this coming weekend like maybe if you know your local scene well you can do that but i don't think you can do it for for moto there's just too much stuff going on people are trying lots of things i think i would avoid Merktide because it is so heavily played yes i would i would i would not avoid the card murktide region uh i think i would avoid blue red murktide because it just like has a target as the most played deck this weekend and there are just ways to be good against it and boy i just saw it multiple times looking really really pathetic against four color value decks and i don't really want to be in that spot so much uh i think I think a deck like Ari's is probably very good. Uh, the Just the Grixis Shadow with a bunch of Murktide Regents as the alternate threat. Uh, I could see that also potentially being vulnerable to four-color decks that are built with it in mind, but uh, it has a lot of powerful draws and Thoughtseize solves a lot of problems. So, uh, And I think like Amulet is really defensible, just powerful deck and maybe i would maybe i'd just play hammer this weekend though because hammer's really good see i wouldn't play hammer but i don't know why like i think it's a, a good deck in mean, all maybe it's just kind of like higher on breach i guess at this point but yeah you can only have so many artifact decks in your quiver ready to go i would definitely 
I, I really do love this third place list. That's just like Nettlesist is the best one. Yes, I'm going to play three of them. So good. So good. So I, I'm huge on that. And I would start with that list and, and go from there. And if you're not playing on Magic Online, just remember to count your Ursus Sagas as, as enchantments. It gets bigger. Yeah, yes. It's very important. It really <laughs> contributes. You make you make your construct and you make your Nettlesist. Cigar do they do. Yep. Yeah. Nettlesist is it's, it's a good one. Cigar does they just like giving your Nettlesist haste on, on your Ornithopter or whatever is really nice. Well, it has haste half the time. They don't even kill your Stoneforge Mystic, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like. And, and that's a huge reason why we don't see Caldera complete in these deck. I mean, you don't like drawing it, obviously. It's terrible to draw it. And this is a deck that just doesn't care if they kill your Stoneforge Mystic. And there's kind of no reason to, like, make yourself vulnerable to a Lightning Bolt in a deck that can really easily play around Lightning Bolt a lot of the time. I have come around to the only place I want to play Caldera complete is in decks you can reasonably expect to cast Cauldre Complete. Sure. Uh, which is almost exclusively Urza and Yorion decks. Because mm-hmm. Yorion decks just always have the game go along. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just because the Nettlesist is such a huge upside and is very castable. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're already heavy on Stoneforges, again, artifact stuff in general. Yeah. Nettlesist is such a home run. And and with... So, there's a, also a couple of things that I think are, like, problems for Cauldre Complete right now, too. Obviously, Solitude has been a problem, and March of Otherworldly Light is seeing a reasonable amount of play as well, and Odawara bouncing the token. Like, you need to be able to at least re-equip, and Hammer is just not interested in Cauldre Complete for other reasons anyways. Uh, So Cauldre Complete, I think, is kind of at a low point for a Stoneforgeable thing right now. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, I think it's defensible in, in Yorion and yeah. Urza decks that are mostly like mid-range decks trying to go long. Because those decks can really serve for having, like, if your thing lives from removal, you'll get it. But you have a game plan in your hand, so you'll eventually cast the Cauldre Complete, especially right. with Urza. I, I think that's that's fine. Yeah. And Urza especially can do a lot of silly things where, you know, you, like, have so much mana, you cast it and equip it in the same turn. <laughs> Yes, to your construct so that you can just bash them with it. Yeah, you just kill them. Yeah. Like, that that has happened. I've seen it. <laughs> but in general, like, if you are a smaller Stoneforge deck, especially Hammer, just just go with Nettlesist instead. Yeah, I agree. Cool. I don't really have anything else to talk about. Oh, no. Me neither, I don't think. Cool. Though, you know, I, I really want to play some Breach, so. I understand While we were that. recording this podcast... Uh, I just made a breach deck. I posted on Twitter uh, with Tameshi because I want to try out that card. Mm-hmm. And Alan messaged me while we were recording this podcast. <laughs> and I'm just going to read what he, he messaged me. Biggest question I have going into SCG ending. Do you prefer single or double space since I'll be typing up a tournament report after I win the Sunday 5K <laughs> <laughs> with this Tameshi grinding breach deck? <laughs> Like, he thinks I run a website that can publish articles or something. I don't, I don't know where he's going with that. Well, but. you know, there needs, there's a need for a venue. Maybe he, <laughs> maybe he can submit it to, like, the Arena Decklist site or something like that. Yeah, I don't know maybe. what they're... What they're... They're, they're a little uh, hesitant 
mm-hmm. platforming because they want they want to pay people but they can't afford it right right, right. They and don't that, just have that's one of the reasons that i that we don't have anything set up like i i, I can't pay what an article is worth the, there's just the money doesn't exist but i i love alan's confidence that he will one yes. win the 5k and two you know, in order to play in the 5K, you have to do really poorly in the team tournament. So <laughs> <laughs> that's confidence on both ends right there. He knows what he's about. Yeah. And he's not he's not playing. He's playing Legacy in the tournament. So. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash MTG Grindcast. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McCleo. Posted a, a Lutri deck I played last weekend yeah. that was very pretty <laughs> and not very good. No, but it's fun. Hard to recommend. I killed someone. Killed a man with Lutri. Just one, though. Yeah, just one. You can't ask me for two, please. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Bye.